welcome once again to another episode of Fox Trotting in a Foxhole, live from Boom Talk Studios, deep in the heart of South Eugene. This is Ken Harlan, your faithful host, coming to you for another interesting week that went on in sports, at least from our perspective. Woo! All right, then. Um, lots of stuff going on today. We're going to have a special guest, uh, a contributor to the show, who'll be joining us on a regular basis. Um, in fact, he's going to join us for two blocks. So this is going to be a jam-packed show full of lots and lots of information. Hope I can cover all the bases. You know, as I say, bear with me. A lot of things going on here. You know, and as usual, I probably say this every time I come on air or, you know, when I go to um, record these podcasts, so many things happen right at record time or prior to that, you know, preparing a show. And then I've obviously got uh, meetings and other things like that going on. But this week has been really hectic. Even when I was doing uh, the interviews, Prior to this, just so many things came up, so many things that got that we were not able to get to, which you're going to have to get to in subsequent episodes. But uh, anyway, why delay? Let's get on with the good. So we're going to mix things up this week. Uh, we're going to we have to. Uh, there's just so much going on. In fact, normally we I save the COVID chronicles for the last block, along with the forty-three thousand foot view above campus. Well, because there's so much going on, we're going to lead off with the COVID Chronicles. So without further ado, the COVID Chronicles. Well, 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 we'll start with the Major League Baseball. And it's a you-know-what show at this point. Kind of saw that coming. We talked about this in previous episodes. All the things that led up to this, even when we had you know the distinguished Ben C on to talk about this, I don't think any of us saw this being the nightmare that it's turned out to be. So the week started out with the Marlins having 18 positive tests with an organization, and at this point, it's led to 10 games being postponed to date. And I think the troubling part about the whole Marlins uh, situation would be this. Listen to Derek Jeter, and if he is to be believed, he was steadfast in telling folks that his players were not engaged in high-level risky activities. And so if that's truly the case, and you know, take that with a grain of salt, we have some serious problems if, the, if, if MLB thinks it's going to be able to contain the spread of this virus, especially with these teams not playing in a bubble. Um, only way around it. I mean, I'm a little skeptical, but at the same time, I thought Derek was sincere, and I do believe that you know these guys do have a lot of things writing on on this return, and I'm sure that yeah, they might be doing some things that are questionable. I'll take him at his word for now. I mean, there hasn't been anybody that's posted a cell phone video that's outing these guys in terms of being at parties or strip clubs. But it's very troubling. Uh, for the most part, they're following the protocols other than you know, perhaps going to see a friend or something like that. And we still had a widespread outbreak, as we did with the Marlins. 
The Phillies also had games canceled as a result of the contact with the Marlins and with their player assessing positive. Um, these cancellations led to MLB announcing that games on Wednesday and beyond were canceled. And then on Friday, the Cardinals announced that they had seven players that tested positive for COVID-19. And that has led to postponements of their games with Milwaukee Friday and Saturday and Sunday and this four-game series that was supposed to start last night with Detroit. So, and I mean, I believe that the Cardinals may have posted some more positive cases yesterday, but I didn't get a chance to look that up. And also on Sunday, Giannis Cespedes went AWOL uh, before the Mets game. And he stated through his agent that he was opting out of the 2020 season due to COVID concerns. Pretty sketchy there. Just just bail on your teammates. But it gives you a sense of the gravity of the situation going on with MLB. So after warning the players' union the season was at risk, Major League Commissioner, Major League Baseball Commissioner, that is, Rob Manfred said on Saturday that he remains confident the 2020 season can continue, telling ESPN on Saturday there is no reason to quit now, despite positive coronavirus tests that have led to the postponement of all of these games. Now, a quick sidebar for me, I, I think, is how, how did MLB not see this coming? And it's not even troubling. For me, this is almost on the level of stupidity. You're with a minor league system that you basically tried to cancel and send these guys home without paying them, you could have prepared for this. Now, the integrity of the game may have been in question, but baseball has the infrastructure to have been able to isolate a B team just in case the scenario were to crop up. And playing outside of a bubble, it was bound to. And it's really shocking to see that MLB was really short-sighted and how they, the preparation for this. I mean, it's one thing, as I chastise them for not seizing the opportunity to have the stage by themselves, but it's like there was no thinking that went into this. And it's absolutely absurd because baseball is the most prepared to be able to adapt and to adjust to any of these situations, like building a B team comprised of minor leaguers or people. People in the people in the organization, there's, there's enough affiliates to where this shouldn't even be a problem. And they should be able to, you know, roll back, have a team in isolation that's always kept away from the regular team, and so they can insert players at any given moment. They haven't done that, and now they're dealing with a CF as far as the schedule goes. I mean, I'm one of these people that believes they can continue to push this out as far as they need to, as I said last on last week's show. But it, it, it's still just, um, I don't know, it's kind of lame. Because you think that if I'm thinking about it, and I know others are as well, what are these owners at Bollywood Association and Commissioner Manfred, Manfred, what are they thinking? It makes no sense. All right, enough of baseball for the moment. What I can report is the NBA, the MLS, the WNBA, and the NHL were able to get through the week without having outbreaks occur in their respective bubbles. So that's a very good sign. Props to them. Okay. Meanwhile, in that league, as as I like to call it, the No Fun League, 
But for this show, we'll just say the National Football League. Lots of things going on over there in, in this COVID world. We had two quarterbacks placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. And I'm not sure what that means. If they've contracted COVID-19 or they've been around somebody on their way to camp that has it and they're for precautionary reasons, I get the feeling that it's probably the quarterbacks have it, but you know the NFL and its transparency. But anyhow, Detroit's Matt Stafford and Jacksonville's Connor Minshew both are on that list. We'll have to find out more in terms of whether they've tested positive or you know something else. But it's an ominous sign as the camps get you know fired up around the league that you have got signal callers who need to get the reps in who are all of a sudden put on the COVID-19 reserve list and can't be with their team working out. Very, very bad. And then also on the ominous side is the opt-out watch, and that includes Kansas City Chiefs running back Damian Williams, the Giants' Nate Solder, Detroit's Geronimo Allison, and New England's Nate LaCrosse. They all decided to opt out, and I believe LaCrosse becomes the eighth Patriot to decide against playing in 2020. And these numbers are probably higher now because I haven't had a chance to like to, to double check. But I believe as of Saturday, they had 43 players who've already decided to opt out. And these are from 19 different teams. And so I suspect that as time moves on, we're going to see more of this. And it doesn't help that as I went to the air yesterday when I was doing interviews, we found out that Eagles... Coach Doug Peterson tested positive for COVID-19. He's asymptomatic, apparently, but nonetheless, he can't be with his team, and he needs to take some time away and, and uh, self-isolation or a quarantine protocol. So, yeah, a lot of uh, scary stuff going on there. That's in the Bills also had five positive tests at their facility last week, and they had to send all the rookies away. Uh, not everybody's feeling the new the, the gloom and doom. You, know, you, you do have someone like OBJ who came out and said this season should be canceled because the owners don't see the players as human, more as slaves that they own, and he thinks the season sh it shouldn't be held. Well, of course, he's still going to pay because OBJ got to get paid. But then you have someone like Sean McVay, you know, Los Angeles Rams' wonderkind coach, and he basically feels that... Um, even as volatile as the situation is with MLB, he believes that the that the NFL is doing the right thing and we will have a season. He says, as long as people follow the protocols in place, we will have a season. So, yeah, I wish I could share um, his optimism, but, you know, quite frankly, I'm not quite seeing it right now. Um, I think, you know, not in the bubble contact that you're going to see the NFL even with the face shields and just the, the amount of high profile guys that are backing out it's really going to be difficult yes there are a lot of bodies out there and there can be contingency plans in place but right now I'm going to say 50-50 alrighty so what we, have, what we can talk about here is that something you know, to get away from the COVID Chronicles for a minute. Let's talk about the NBA restart. And the NBA kicked off 
its restart last Thursday with the Jazz and Pelicans, followed by a blockbuster matchup of LA teams. We, during this restart weekend, as we'll call it, we saw all sorts of displays of solidarity for the Black Lives Matter movement. And we saw some folks who opted to exercise their right to stand for the anthem. Among those, Jonathan Isaac, Greg Popovich, Becky Harmon, and Miles Leonard. You know, they bucked the trend by standing during the national anthem as most players join other athletes around the globe and kneeling during the pregame ceremonies. So, anyhow... Without, without further ado, I think we want to bring in uh, our special guest to sort of give his perspective. Uh, joining the show for the first time is the legendary Alec Ford, a colleague of mine who I had lots of conversations about the topics on this show and it sort of helps me uh, in a way you know, get pre- prepare myself you know, for the, the things that I'm going to discuss as we, we text back and forth terms of what's going on, you know, in, in the world of sports, and especially with the COVID crisis and uh, the things that are going on on campus. So anyway, one. All right. Welcome back to Fox Trotting in a Foxhole. We have a wonderful guest, good friend of mine. Uh, hopefully he's going to be a regular contributor to this show. For the first time, I want everyone to uh, welcome... The legendary Alec Ford. Hey, Thank Alec. you very much. Fantastic. So we're going to talk a little NBA as I talked, as I promised you before we went to the break. And we're just going to hop right into this as far as the NBA restart. And I guess my first question to you, Alec, would be this. Um, what were your initial observations of the NBA's restarts opening weekend? Well, first, my my initial observations are I am very impressed that Adam Silver was able to pull this off because what I'm not going to lie to you, and we kind of talked about this before, I thought this was something that was drawn up in fantasy land, you know, in a Disney movie, which is kind of ironic that they happen to be playing at Disney World. No doubt. But the fact that they got to this point really impresses me, and they had no positive tests no hiccups and Adam silver deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, In terms of the opening weekend, I mean, I have a lot of observations on that. Um, I mean, New Orleans doesn't seem to be the force that um, some people thought they would be. It could be because of Zion's minutes restriction. Um, We got a very good game between the Lakers and Clippers to start off the restart. Um, Lakers pulled it out in the clutch at the end of the game. Um, but like I've said, that's not, I don't, I feel like with no Harrell and no Williams for the Clippers, there was no, that, that wasn't a true representation of what a Western conference finals would look like in terms of intensity. Like the Lakers will have to step up and play better if they want to beat the Clippers in a seven game series, because the Clippers strength, which I think is their depth wasn't really a factor in that particular game. And then some other teams have like kind of impressed me like Toronto. Um, they're really there. A lot of people sleep on them because they lost Kawhi. But from what I've seen that their two games, their game against the Lakers and their game against the heat, I think they're more of a force to be reckoned with than some people are willing to give them credit for being. Okay. No, I would tend to agree with that. 
So let me ask you this, because, I, because I'll get back into the teams here, but well, before we get too far with this, let me ask you about this. What did you make of all the activism and some displays of patriotism during, during this opening weekend? What, how, what was your feeling about all of that? Well, you know what my feeling is, is that it seems like the players had a united front. Um, they've done it. They've done it in a way. I mean, like, if you want to complain that they're throwing it in your face with the jerseys, that's fine. But they've mostly done it in a way where if you just want to, like, focus and enjoy the basketball, there's been nothing that has been prevented from doing it. And the one thing that, um, like I said, my opinion on this is, like, you know what? If you want to kneel, that's your choice. And at the same time, like Charles Barkley said the other day on TNT, if you want to stand, you're not a bad guy for doing that. And I am impressed by how the players that did stand, none of them seemed to get too much flack from the other players on their team. And all of them were allowed to explain their reasoning for not kneeling for the flag. And obviously you know, with the NBA being mostly an African-American league, um, there is a lot, there's issues that kind of plague the African-American community in this country. And those players obviously feel like they have a platform right now that they could use to make more people aware of it. And at the same time, I think they've also done it in a way where if you just want to enjoy the games, it's not necessarily pushed right, pushed straight into your face. Yeah, I would have to agree with that, you know, and as, we, as we've always discussed about ESPN <laughs> being the woke sports leader, you yeah. know, trying to, um, as you say, put it in your face. I think that um, it has been not quite muted. But it's been rather toned down, and it seems that it's more about what's going on on the court. But at the same time, allowing you know the players to have that platform. So I think it's been well done. Okay, well, yeah. So, um, so let's get back into uh, what's going on in the court, actually. So you've watched the Lakers, you've watched the Raptors, Clippers, Bucks, Rockets, and the Celtics over the weekend. Who impressed you? Who disappointed you? And who do you see of these of the favorites possibly stumbling in the playoffs? Well, the team that the, the, I'll start with who disappointed me okay. at first, which was really Boston's effort against Portland. I mean, I feel like when you have the clear upper hand, at least looking at record wise, when you're up on a team by 24 points, a team that's a borderline playoff team. To begin with now granted obviously they've had some roster additions you got to step on their throat and from what i saw so far um i mean i thought boston may have had an outside chance of winning the east but that game kind of gives me second thoughts whether that's the case and also i would also say i mean granted i still think milwaukee's the uh, clear-cut favor to win the east but man they had a tough time guarding Houston's small ball lineup in that game that we saw yesterday. I mean, Harden went off, Westbrook went off. So, so I mean, Milwaukee might have some chinks they have to work out. Absolutely, but. because don't you feel like if it wasn't for a bad call, they would have lost that game against Boston as well. I mean, Boston, as you point out, oh, yeah. has their issues, but they could have lost two games the way I look at it. I'm not saying, and I'm with you. I don't think the Bucks are necessarily um, – a disappointment, but 
Yeah, I don't feel as strongly as I did going into this after watching them two games. Yes, and the two games, like you're going back to that game against um, Boston where they probably should have lost. I mean, uh, I mean, we all we've all joked in the past how Stern used to, you know, kind of uh, have his way with things. And even though rest in peace, David Stern, that he's not here with us anymore, that seemed to be one of those incidents instances. And I totally agree with Kemba Walker's uh, assessment of that non-foul on Giannis there at the end of the game. Um, but, and, but, but like I'm going back to it, the team that has impressed me was Toronto um, so far. I mean, they played a, um, they played against us and they just ran or played against the Lakers and they just ran away with it in the fourth quarter. Um, really um, seemed to hold LeBron down in that game. AD and then as well. And AD as well too. Yeah. And then today against the Heat, and the Heat have a very good team, I feel. Absolutely. Um, they got out to a good start. The Heat um, came back against them. But they, you know what, they gutted, they really gutted out that win. And, like, you know, being in the middle of the day, I was actually got to watch a good portion of that game. And that's the kind of game that championship teams win. So, um now, like I said, with the Lakers, I mean, I've got to admit, like being transparent, I'm a Lakers fan, but yes, eh, well. they looked a little shaky the first. They've looked a little shaky to me so far. Um, today, starting in the third quarter of that game, they seemed to get things together. And AD had an awesome game today for the Lakers. But the Clipper game, the Clipper victory, because of what I've told you about what the lineup the Clippers had, didn't impress me that much. And, you know, they didn't seem to show a championship medal against Toronto. If anything, it was the defending champion Raptors that seemed to show the championship medal in that game. Well, you know, you brought up an interesting point when we were texting back and forth a few days ago. I think it may have even been when the Lakers lost to uh, Toronto, was that the difficulty they were having scoring when you see other teams that have put up like 82 points and a half, and it seems that it, we're, the Lakers are working way too hard for what to put points up on the board. You know, well, I'll elaborate on that a little bit from what you see. Well, it, it is. It seems like they have a very stagnant offense right now. They turn the ball over like crazy, like telegraph passes, like just trying to dribble into three people. Um, and it's like weird. It seems like it's scoring galore as if it was like a YMCA pickup game on a Saturday right now, it seems. And the Lakers are just having so much difficulty. I mean, a lot of that could come because if you really look at their roster, they really only have two guys that could create their own offense right now. And that's obviously LeBron and AD. Now, granted, they're two of the top five best players in the game. But it's when the league has kind of gone more to ISO ball, like the last few years, has become a league of isolation. And the Lakers just don't have as many guys who could create their own offense. Now, I feel like the key to the game, the key to the Lakers is that as this um, restart gets further along, I feel like Kyle Kuzma is going to be the key. Because I feel like he's a guy who has it in him to be that third person who can create his own offense without having to rely on LeBron or AD to create it for him. He didn't have the type of year that um, 
I was hoping he would have. But now with what we've had time and now that you kind of see what basketball is going to be like in this bubble, I think it's a, I think he has a very big opportunity to step up and be that third scorer the Lakers need to win a title, which is the ultimate goal. Absolutely. Before I go to the butt, the back of the bracket, let me ask you about the Rockets because, you know, they're, they're kind of sitting there. Um, they're a pretty explosive bunch, as we saw yesterday. What's your feeling about them? Well, I mean, my feeling about them is that, like, first of all, I want to say I don't believe in asterisks, but it's clear that the NBA season this way, the way it was, with this four-and-a-half-month break, in the middle of the season benefited more teams than others. Let's just say, and the Rockets I feel are one of the teams. And in fact, I might even argue of the teams in the Western conference, no team benefited more from the break um, than the Houston Rockets, because about a month before all this went down at the trade deadline, they just decided to just ditch even having a center go all small ball. They traded Clint Capella, their starting center to the Hawks. And we saw in the, I think they saw in the past, especially in their matchups with the Warriors, that Capella was kind of a liability when you were trying to get in that offensive battle. So they traded him, they invented themselves, and man, they just have a lot of guys between Tucker and Covington, and on, on top of obviously Westbrook and Harden, that could just score. But for them, I feel like because I don't feel like they would have been as effective if there wasn't a break in the middle of the season, because it's kind of hard to just reinvent yourself like that on the fly. And they had a couple games before the break where they just threw stinkers. Like I believe they lost back-to-back games to the Hornets and Knicks. I mean, maybe if I remember that, don't mm-hmm. quote me a hundred percent for yeah, sure. I think I remember but, something to that effect as well. So, and it was thinking, man, this team's going to slip to the sixth seed and, probably go out in the first round, but because of the stoppage, they've had a training camp where they could implement their system. And you know what? Love him or hate him. And obviously Laker fans have bias, but you know what, with this type of, this is the perfect team for Mike D'Antoni to coach. Absolutely. The way it's set up. It's exactly the way he wants to play. I I agree. Having a training camp, I feel Houston probably benefited more than any Western conference team from the break. Okay, with all that said, as we, you and I both know that they're scary, but at the same time, um, Harden and Russ still have to prove that they're not going to pull a Houdini in, in the playoffs, as, as their history <laughs> suggests they will. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but let me ask you this, you know, and I guess this really pertains more to the Western Conference. But in the bottom half of the bracket, you know, we're, we're going to have a play, play-in game. What team? What? Who do you see coming out of that? What do you? What? What? I guess. What is your feeling about you know this logjam here with the Grizzlies, with the with the with the Blazers, the Spurs, and well, uh, Sacramento as well. Well, so here's the thing: is that first of all, I will flat out say, I mean, no team has more right to feel like they got a raw deal out of this than the Memphis Grizzlies because. They were a solid four and a half games up on the eight seed with only 16 games to go. And I mean, they were a great story. They were cruising. They probably would have played in the eight seed. It would have ended up in the eight seed only to get swept by us in the first round. But um, right now they're in a battle. And I mean, they had two tough games 
to start off the restart. I mean, two games that could have gone either way that they were on the wrong side of both in the Portland game and the San Antonio game. Um, and then today they just seem to be a frustrated bunch. And I have my doubts whether or not they're going to be even, they're going to even be able to hang on to the eight seed. That way they only have to win one game as a opposed to two. But having said that, I ultimately think Memphis will get the two wins they need to hang on to the eight seed. And the Spurs dropping that tough game to Philly today helps them out. Um, the Spurs are actually, if you're going back to what you were saying, I mean, I was focusing more on the contenders, but the Spurs have actually been kind of a surprise to me, to be honest. Likewise. Um, they were they were struggling, and their 23-year playoff streak looked for sure. I mean, no doubt in my mind that streak's coming to an end if we don't have this pause, but they've kind of worked themselves out up to um, be a contender. And honestly, I think Lamarck, I mean – a lot of people I feel wrote the Spurs off coming into this because of LaMarcus Aldridge not being in the bubble. But I actually, in the back of my mind, I always said to myself, okay, you give Popovich time to plan, you know, he um, will come up with something. And it seems like LaMarcus really wasn't the LaMarcus that Blazer fans might remember. Um, from his days at the Blazers when he was at his peak, like he's kind of evolved into just a mid range jump shooter, which in today's NBA is not the type of player you want. And it seems like from, I watched their game against Philly. They seem to do a better job of spacing out and just kind of using modern NBA tactics to get their scoring in terms of spreading out the floor and shooting threes. And you know what? They have a good shot at um, keeping their 23 year, playoff streak they do. i mean i ultimately think they're gonna fall short now portland is the interesting team because like the spurs i mean or like the rockets i feel like they were a team that in theory was helped out by the pause oh absolutely um getting nurture was not coming back at all so they get a elite level center back or like an, a, a good center, let's Indeed. say and they get collins back and then you add that to carmelo who seemed to be having a renaissance type year i mean at this point i i still believe portland will end up with the ninth seed eking out over new orleans for right. that night i i see that as well and the fact that you know when it comes to that lethal three-point shooting with dame and cj they're never out of any game let's suppose that they have that never say die you know, never quit about them and that's as, as we've seen in the game that they lost to boston and oh, even yeah. the game with Memphis. Um, you know, but when it comes to New Orleans, what do you think about them, especially with this whole situation with Zion? I mean, they they seem to be set up to have to I mean, let's be real. I mean, the reason the bubble is the way it is is because I feel the NBA wanted to get Zion Williamson into this thing. All right, to get the ratings. And also, you know, you had TV contracts that I get some local TV contracts that need to be um, need to be met. And you know what? I don't blame New Orleans for what they're doing with Zion's minutes because, I mean, just from seeing what he's done as a rookie, he's going to be a great player in this league for the next 15 years. And you don't want to do anything to uh, 
risk that no right doubt. now. So Stephen A says box office. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? Their schedule, they got that victory against Memphis. And I have a feeling as we get further into this bobble, they're gonna loosen their the minutes restrictions on Zion. And um today you kind of saw that as they he ended up playing he ended up playing 25 minutes today after only playing in the teens um the game the first two games of the restart including a game against a very unimpressive utah team that they probably for sure would have won if zion had just played 25 minutes like he did tonight absolutely and i mean their schedules early i mean their schedule they have an easy schedule from this point like they get a game with washington they get a game with orlando so i think they're gonna do good from this point but the fact that they kind of took it easy those first two games, I think is going to ultimately cost them the shot at the ninth seed that they need to be able to get into that playing game. And I feel like Portland will ultimately get that ninth seed. Yeah, I think so as well. I think it, is, it probably will be Memphis and, and Portland, but you never know because it's just, I mean, I, I'm not going to rule out San Antonio. I, I think Sacramento, I think we can say probably not. No, I'm Sacramento doesn't look too impressive. I mean, they got a good future. I mean, we've been saying for years they uh, they have a good future, but with Fox and with Heald, I mean, I think they'll, I think over time, I think in the next year or two, you'll start seeing them compete for the playoffs. But right now, I just think they're too young. And Phoenix, I mean, they got an impressive victory yesterday, but I just don't think the talent is there for them to make a serious run at the playoffs. Yeah, I'm kind of with you as far as that goes. So for this segment, because we'll bring you back later, we want to talk a little college college ball. But So uh-huh. I'll, get, I'll get you out in this segment with this one. If things are going well in the bubble, do you feel that this will continue? And do you feel that the NBA will return to home arenas for the 2021 season You know, and beyond? Or do you feel that this is something we may be seeing you know, for the next season or two as far as being in a bubble? Well, so um, I feel like, first of all, I feel the bubble is going well. And based off of what happened in the MLS, once they got their bubble settled, I am actually optimistic, which you know from our text messages that I was not optimistic at first. But after seeing that there's been no positive tests for, and they've been in the bubble since July 7th, there's been no positive tests for 24, 25 days now. I am confident that this thing will get finished. I really am. And also the way the NBA handled the Lou Williams situation shows me they're serious about making sure that the virus doesn't get into the bubble. Now, the question for the 2021 season is a little more difficult because, first of all, they could try to do what – okay, I think home arenas with fans is – Honestly, out of the question. For I agree with you. At least a I year. Agree. I don't see that happening. At least a year, because I mean, I study the virus too, and yes, I pay attention to news stuff that's not sports, and yeah. I'm just not convinced that we'll have. I'm just not convinced that we'll be able to play home games with fans until 2022. So the NBA really has two choices if they want to continue with their season. Um, they could do this bubble for let's say a 50 game season and it involves make it involve obviously you have all 30 teams in there 
for 2021, I mean. You have all 30 teams in there. And you know what? You get the commitment to them for spend four months in the bubble, which I think will be difficult. Or you try a baseball model and you see what happens. But we all see what's going on with baseball. And that's not going to work. Now, the one suggestion I would have, if you don't want to make the players be locked in a bubble, if the players show resistance to being locked in the bubble for four or five months. So, cause quite frankly, they've already, I mean, the two teams that play in the NBA finals would have been in the bubble for about three months by the time it's all said and done. So you've already asked, they've, they've already given up a lot of family time at this point. And would they be willing to, if they're not willing to go back, I believe the league, I mean, I feel positive tests are inevitable. So if Silver and the teams are willing to create a system where you have a B squad and a C squad and just accept you're going to get positive tests and call guys up, I mean, maybe for one year you expand the draft to like eight or nine rounds so you could create a true B team, a true C team that basically like they like they practice together, they play the same systems as the main team does, the main NBA team, and they stay away from – the teams from the main team that way if there is a outbreak you have a full team that's ready to just step right in right. Now, granted it won't be the best basketball but if you just want to complete a season make sure your tv contracts get fulfilled that's something that you could consider right. and but they have the a lot to talk sure. about once this season ends but i mean right now i feel like they i, I think the nba feels like we got this going We'll worry about that when the time comes. True, 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 true. I think that, you know, my, my gut feeling is that the, the family thing is going to be a hard consideration when we get to the next season. But, you know, obviously we've got to get through this one first. And, you know, there's still a long ways to go. All righty. Well, we're going to take a break and then we'll bring you back a little bit later to talk about some college ball. Uh-huh. All right. Well, that was that was pretty uh, pretty intense. A very lengthy uh, opening block there. As I said, we'll have we'll have Alec back here a little bit later to help me dissect the forty three thousand foot view above campus. Meanwhile, we're gonna take a break, and I will be back with some more interesting facts for you. As I forgot to do in the opening segment, we want to thank the folks at www.purpleplanet.com for the theme song. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, you know, any of those things that can help this become a better podcast, be sure to tell your friends too for those of you who are out there listening. FTINFX at gmail.com. Uh, anything you can tell us at this point would be definitely appreciated. Yeah. Okay. So we're back and rolling. I said that was a you know pretty pretty uh, interesting segment. Lots of information. We'll definitely have him back as the season progresses to talk some more NBA and other things. 
Also, we're going to get Ben C. back to talk some baseball. Got some uh, interesting guests lined up. Uh, it's kind of it's a pleasure to have some people out there that I know very well, that are very knowledgeable, that will enhance the kind of things that we present to you. So wonderful stuff going on there. And yes, Alec will be back a little bit later in this episode. All right. Well, it's been a couple of weeks now. And you know what? We might as well keep the streak intact and mention the WNBA once again this week. And I think the news out of the league is rather somber for us fans, especially here in Eugene. I just think in, in general for, for the big fans of this budding ta talent. But uh, it was quite a turbulent week for our Sabrina Inescu. She followed up her sluggish debut with an outstanding 33 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists performance in a 93-80 loss against Dallas on Wednesday. And then went down with a level three grade sprain last night in the game. Well, not last night now. I think it was Saturday when I actually wrote the episode. But, yeah, she has a, a level three um, grade sprain in her ankle. And I guess the word is that uh, Sabrina's going to be out for probably a month. Might even miss the rest of the season. Get well, Sabrina. We want to see you back on the court. I think the league needs you. Uh, you're an inspiration to a lot of people in this town. I know the girl across the street models herself after you. And the sooner you you can get healthy and return back to court, the happier I think folks all around will be will be happy. All right. So we also had the NL, the NHL, excuse me. They had their restart at eight one, and a lot of interesting things that, that happened to be going on with with all of that. I think that what we'll do, what we can do here is at least tell you what's going on. Since you know, lie does that thing with the the Tajekai for um, the Flames looked pretty ugly. That was a pretty nasty hit in terms of uh, hijinks from the first weekend. But what what we have going on right now is a, a round robin, which is the top four teams are playing for first round seating. Um, regular overtime rules are in effect. And uh, as, as I pointed out in previous weeks, the bubble is taking place in, in two cities. Um, so actually in Toronto and in the, and in the arena in Edmonton. Lots going on there. We hope to have somebody on the show that will give us some great hockey breakdowns, especially with the playoffs. Actually uh, revving up here, because once we're done with the round robin, we'll go into the qualifying round where... The remaining eight teams will play a best of five series to advance to the first round, and then there'll be the first and second round. We'll have seeding versus bracket, and you know the series since will be best of seven. So we'll be curious to see what all transpires with that, and we'll be faithfully updating you here on Fox Trotting in a foxhole. And I must say, for once, nothing new with the Washington football name change. Right. Finally, I don't have to talk about that. But what I can say about the Washington football team is there is some very fantastic news coming out of D.C. As at the journeyman, as he is, I guess you would say at this point, Alex Smith has just been cleared to resume football activities. Now, I don't know if you all remember, but Smith suffered a very gruesome Joe Theismann type of injury in 2018 against the New York Giants. 
was pretty much thought by most that he would never play again, possibly not even walk again. In fact, Smith's injury was so severe that doctors at the time had to save his leg from amputation. So big ups for Alex making it all the way back, you know, to compete with Dwayne Haskins, which I think is going to be a good thing to put some heat under the young man's, uh, you know what? Um, I think it's going to be a very exciting thing for the Redskins. Well, I said the Redskins. See, there you go, Ken. The Washington football team, they have some competition at the quarterback uh, position. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Alex is as healthy as everyone's telling me that he possibly is the starter at some point. I mean, I, I love me some Dwayne Haskins, but he still has some growing to do. And I think it would be fantastic if he could get some mentoring mentorship from Alex, one way or the other, either by showing some leadership on the field or just, like I said, being a mentor to him. Um, all all's well. Congratulations. Best of luck to you. All right, let's go to our something you should probably know. And, you know, that was also wrapped in with a hot take of the week. So, the MLS's Cup, the MLS's Back Cup, reached the semifinal stage. And what happens here? So Portland continued its strong run, surviving at uh, FC Cincinnati, as we told you last week, and they throttled New York City FC Saturday night, 3-1. to one. Uh, Philadelphia knocked out Sporting Kansas City on Thursday in a very impressive battle. And in a battle of upsets, Minnesota United, the Loons, got the better of San Jose in a very impressive performance. By the way, San Jose, nothing, you know, hold your heads up. You did well, created some some impressive moments in this tournament. But right now, it seems like Minnesota is the real deal. And so now the hot take that's wrapped inside of this. As you all know, I'm a huge LAFC fan. And the networks that broadcast the MLS are as well, given the nonstop praise that is heaped upon the club every time a match of this is televised and any time they can find a way to insert the black and gold into the conversation. This tournament, in spite of not having reigning MVP Carlos Vela or top striker Adama, Adama Diamande, should have been a showcase moment for the club. Instead, it was another major stumble as Cinderella Orlando City pulled off some magic in the kingdom with a gritty win that went to penalty kicks. Kudos to Oscar Brea for the job he's done with making Orlando City a team to reckon with. But come on, black and gold, shorthanded or not, at some point you have to be able to deliver in these showcase moments. And yes, we're only in year three and the future looks very bright. But what has to be very critical of the missed chances to make history in the past three years? It's a very polarizing point with the fan base, a sub like myself, bitterest battery acid, and those that want to put sunshine on everything the club does. It's still early in their history, as I said, only three years, but I really think LAFC needs to shed the Paper Tiger label sooner than later. And while I'm at it, I will give props to Arsenal for their victory over Chelsea in the FA Cup. It's shame to see Americans, American Wonderkin, Kristen Pulisic, go off with a hamstring injury after scoring the opening goal. Let's, ho- let's, let's hope for a speedy recovery as in the United States men's national team gears up for some big qualifying matches this fall. We're going to need to see Kristen back on the pitch. So 
big big ups to a speedy recovery for him. But uh, he didn't believe me. He has had a pretty impressive run in this restart. So I can't say enough about how much of a bummer it was seeing him get injured twice. See what else went on in the beautiful game. Oh yeah, gotta bring up the red and blues because you know that's another one of my favorite teams. In fact, I mean between you know as far as my international team, it's all about PSG, and not only did they win the final French League Cup last week in a penalty kick shootout with Lyon, zero zero after one hundred twenty minutes, and win a full round of kicks before. My man, Keylor Navas, made a huge save, and PSG escaped with it narrowly, taking it 6-5. There's going to be no more League Cup after this, as the competitions around the globe are intensifying, and the French football folks feel it's one last competition that teams need to deal with. But why I even bring this up is that, that other than winning the League Cup, there's also some promising news coming out of France that Kylian Mbappe, which I moaned and complained about, who was tragically injured, may be ready for Champions League in eight days when they face Atalanta. Very encouraging because, you know, as I said last week, and if you went and looked at YouTube, that injury looked to be much more serious than it apparently is. You know, we saw him in the boot. We saw him in crutches. Fingers crossed. We definitely want to see him back out there. All right, we're going to take a quick break before we move into the final block. going on right now um yeah i just took a second there just got a text from someone that was telling me about something crazy going on in the sports world don't know if i can fit it into this episode but it's just really cr amazing the things that will happen and with sports wrapping back up covid crisis social justice crisis Something literally can happen on the hour, if not the half hour. And sometimes you just don't even have time to react to it. Look into the facts and actually write it into the episode. And there's probably things that I wanted to talk about in not only this episode, but the past episode, which will probably appear in subsequent episodes. All right, let's move on here. Well, well, well. The Joe Kelly suspension. Yeah, this is one of those, as they say, what's the acronym? S-M-D-H, you know, shaking my damn head. As one guy put it, the powers that be in MLB couldn't come up with a severe enough punishment for the cheaters. Now when someone who wants to send a message about how messed up the cheating scandal was, in spite of not being on the roster at the time, isn't... Kelly and his sort of uh, antics in the series against Houston, which we brought up briefly. MLB suspended Kelly for eight games for his actions in the first game between LA and Houston, you know, as we just mentioned. Yeah, you know, I, what do I say about this? Isn't it kind of hollow 
when you know the cheaters should either be banned for life or at least forced to sit down for maybe a season or two. And yet they're gonna come down hard on this guy. I mean, I get to a point that MLB has to show their boss, but the fact that they didn't in this cheating scandal—it's just one more reason when you look across the room at them and just goes, you know, what are you guys doing over there, Commissioner Manfred? Really? And uh, yeah, it's a it's a crappy situation that. made worse. No treatment plant in the world is going to be able to make that look a little bit better. So, yeah, I mean, it's just another suspect move by MLB in a long year of them. All right, then. So let's get to the 43,000-foot view above campus. Uh, yeah, I think it was Saturday or Sunday. I can't, I'm sure. When I first found out about it, I believe it was Saturday night when story got more traction on Sunday but a group of Pac-12 players from multiple schools are threatening to opt out of, of both preseason camps and games unless it's negotiations with the league regarding concerns about racial justice the safety during the coronavirus pandemic and other demands are, are met uh, very uh, powerful story which I will bring, I'll get in more detail with I speak with that when we bring Alec back. But this could be a game changer. You know the other conferences are going to probably follow suit. Uh, this may be a moment of truth as far as college athletics in general are concerned. Um, stay tuned because this is going to have long-reaching implications as the players truly understand their power in the equation and they're inserting themselves. And to that point, uh, Washington State coach in his first year, Nick Rolovich, apparently warned a player about joining this movement, saying it would cause an issue with the program. So, as I said, it looks like the plantation and the overseers are about to engage in a showdown for the ages. We'll definitely be here with our popcorn and our observations and hot takes. No question about that. Okay, what else is going on? So... Last week, the ACC announced an 11-game season that includes Notre Dame, revenue to be shared equally with the 15-member schools and Notre Dame as well. And that's a big deal considering that Notre Dame has its own contract with NBC uh, and you know, that it being independent and that it's willing to share with the other ACC members. It's going to be a win-win for them if we have a season. The Big 12 Conference announced it's going to go with a 9 Conference, they're going to go with a schedule that has nine conference games and one non-conference matchup. We'll see how that goes as far as the traveling and trying to contain the, the, the virus. And, the, and this is on the hills of the SEC approving a 10-game conference-only schedule that will start, I believe, on September 22nd. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we had an announcement a couple of days ago, the West Coast Conference has announced that it will be establishing the Russell Roll, named after the legendary Boston star Bill Russell, who played his college ball at member school USF in the mid-50s, led them to two consecutive national championships before going on to being, in my opinion, the GOAT of the NBA. Sorry, Jordan. Six and that was great, but 11 out of 13, I don't care who was playing. You know, Wilt was playing at that time, Wes and Elgin Baylor and a bunch of other greats. 
11 out of 13. That gets the goat in my book. And he and yes, if he played in this era, he would dominate as well. That's a badass fact. I'm not going to ever back away from that. Anyhow, before I get off on that tra- tangent, the Russell rule will require all schools to include a minority finalist for any openings in athletics, making this the first conference in Division One to enact such a rule. So we'll definitely have to see how that goes. Kudos to the West Coast Conference for, for making that bold step and you know, leading the pathway for other conferences to follow. I mean, it only stands to reason if you have a majority of African-American athletes and other people of color in your programs, that at least you should be looking at people of color as potential candidates for any coaching positions. Common sense, right? Also, that went on in this previous week, we also have the Big West Conference announcing the cancellation of all fall sports. Big West Conference, which my alma mater, Cal State Northridge, is a part of. They don't play football anymore, so it's not so it's not that rippling, but the other non-revenue sports that happen in the fall, such as cross-country, soccer, men and women's, women's volleyball, the start of basketball season, a lot of things are being impacted here. And the big, big West, like I said, you know, is dear to my heart. And one of the conferences on the West Coast. As, once again, as these conferences continue to contemplate shutting down in the fall or actually doing it, we'll see what ripple effect it has to the other conferences as well. And before we bring Alec back, I must also bring up something we'll be looking more into in the uh, coming weeks, that there is some pretty disturbing news coming out of Oregon State, which is up in Corvallis, which is 45 minutes up the road here from Eugene, that uh, there have been claims of verbal and physical abuse with the women's volleyball team as far as uh, one of their, 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 their coach being a real jerk. I've only had a gl- time to glance at the story, but it does not look good. And I'm sure that in the weeks to come, that's going to be a more juicy story, just like the story I told you about last week, what's going on in Iowa. So we will be right back. We'll take a very quick break, and then we're going to get into further depth with Alex with what's going on in campus. <laughs> interesting story that was just texted to me um yeah so there's going to be uh, another scandal that's about to happen at, at uh, tcu but uh let me look this up here real quick so i've got all my facts straight but um gary patterson apparently you repeatedly using a slur now, i don't have all the facts yet but it appears that he was making fun of a player of person of color's girlfriend and bringing up the fact that the the player you know as african americans tend to tend to use the n-word you know as opposed to the hard er with the soft ar and apparently he kept using that and the players have taken offense and now apparently patterson is in some hot water kind of really before i make too many comments on this one 
yeah, this just sounds to me, you know, like people are finding any reason to complain, especially if it's a player that was actually using it and he was making use of it. If not, and he is stupid to be using the N-word in any context, well, may he pay the price that is coming to him. Because, you know, at this point in time, you don't really, there's just no place for it. And what's gone on in, these, in the weeks since what happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you're not going to get much sympathy from the public. Okay, so let's continue with, 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 with our interview with Alec. Okay, we're on. All right, as, as promised, we, we have Alec back for another round, and we're going to talk some college football, as I've just been talking about the 43,000 foot from campus that I do every week. But now we're going to get a little more specific. And I, I was going to ask this question second, but now with the way things have progressed today, I think I'm going to jump ahead and move this to the top. And so I know, I'm sure you heard about the Pac-12 situation with players demanding safer conditions and their social justice grievances to be addressed. What is your feeling about this, and what kind of impact do you see this having? I mean... Well, so I I heard about it at first yesterday, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until the end of the day, because I spent most of the day watching basketball mm-hmm. pretty much yesterday. So I didn't delve into it yesterday. And I will say they have a lot of good points, like some of the things they want, like 2% of the revenue going to low-income students for financial aid or scholarships. You know, I mean, that's a good idea to um, put forth because – it's, I mean, in a way, you could even look at it that the way they feel like they're giving back to lower income um, students. Um, and I also like prohibiting liability waivers because, let's face it, um, these presidents, these conferences have not put out a plan on how to deal with player safety. I mean, no, it's all about the money. And I'm shocked at the indifference they seem to have at college kids getting COVID. I mean, I know the theory is they're young, so they'll survive it, but we don't know enough about this virus yet to know what possible long-term ramifications that it could have on them. So I like that part of it. And you know what? Guaranteed medical coverage, I feel like it's fair. I mean, the only problem is, is that I feel like the NCAA would consider that a payout but Absolutely. I think in these times, there's exceptions. And I feel like the NCAA as a whole should step up and cover any player who might have who might get long term um, COVID um, long term uh, ram- health ramifications for COVID if they're kind of forcing them to play this year. And you know what? Opting out is just obvious. I mean. I mean, any player should be allowed to opt out for whatever reason oh, and not you not lose a year of eligibility at all. Now, absolutely, go ahead. Some of the other stuff, though, like when they talk about a fifty percent revenue split going to the players, um, I just want to know how they, what specifically they want, because um, we know they're student athletes, and you know, you could go a lot. I mean. That's a slippery slope in itself because let's let's just face it. I mean, they're used for money and I could make a competent argument that they should be compensated for that. But I just don't know 
how they want to define the 50% oh, revenue. Sure. How, does it, in how all does it not turn into an arms race what, yep. once we make that determination? You know, and then and it, it's, it it's does become the power the five. little guy right. more as it goes on, more so than the little guy has already been killed. I'm talking about those schools in the smaller conferences. Oh, sure, right. And the, if you're talking about wanting to advance the mid yeah, the mid conference. conferences and the smaller schools that play the yeah. body bag games. And you yeah. know, one of the things that, that that I guess I was I, I would be, be kind of concerned about is that you know at, at at some point does this mean the end of the NCAA and that we we move to a whole entire different system because there's so many variables here you know right that what these players are asking for in the context of all the uh, the rest of the student body. You know, it, it, is, is this feasible? Because we know it's going to spread to other conferences, what the Pac-12 has done yes. here. Well, see, at this point, I mean, it, I feel like eventually the whole NCAA structure will collapse. And one thing, I mean, going back to another point against the revenue split, I feel is that, I mean, a lot of these players have shown their voice. They got a platform. And if you really want to advance social justice causes, I feel like this kills a lot of historically black colleges and any chance you get any chance you have of students wanting to go to those colleges, they can't keep up in a revenue race at this point. So um, I feel that. And then the other thing that the PAC 12 players, I noticed they pretty much conceded to, and now granted, maybe all the conferences, all the power fives end up doing this and you just have a power five league and then a rest of the league, which from a fan perspective, I would be okay with, but they pretty much are saying, yes, we are aware if you accept this, that the PAC 12 becomes its own entity and can't compete in NCAA in NCAA championship events. And I'm sorry. I mean, like just taking the financial stuff as a fan, if Oregon football could only win the PAC 12, I'd, I have no interest in that. I mean, oh, I doubt. So I have no interest, and I don't know if the players are aware that I'm sure I'm not the only person out there that would say, you know what, this isn't this is dumb. Just winning the Pac-12 and then not being able to possibly play for a Rose Bowl, heck, pay, play in a Pac-12 championship game, play for the Natty, which is what you ultimately want. I mean, I would lose. I and others, I feel, would lose all interest in. Watching uh, Pac-12 football. That's why this is, you know, even though it's warranted, and as you say, the players make some very good points, this is why it's a very dangerous slope that they're going on, you know, and there's, even we haven't talked about, especially in the South, you know, that some of the things that are already happening, as as I've brought up on previous shows, what's going on in Texas, what's happened in Mississippi, you might, you know, alienate boosters, you know, that are the lifeblood of these programs, you know, so there's a lot of things. So, but aside from getting deep into that yet, let's just talk about, do you even think there's going to be a season? You know, it's like we keep moving, inching closer and closer towards it. And, you know, and every week there was something, you know, whether it's COVID tests, there was social justice movements. What do you think? How, how is this going to play out? Honestly, I mean, if the, the way the NCAA is going forward with it, if they want to go forward with it, with it their plan right now will lead to no college football season in my opinion because 
the virus is too, there's too much community spread of the virus right now out there. And let's face it, with college kids, you know, I mean, we were both in college at one time, as you know. Mm-hmm. You're, college you're not going to stop years. college kids, especially college kids who psychologically believe they're not going to die from this thing. You're not going to stop them from having parties or stuff or get-togethers that will spread the disease. And unlike in baseball, where like one team will have an outbreak and the other team, I'm talking about the Marlins and Phillies, mm-hmm. is okay. Like the Phillies had basically no positives other than two coaching staffs, even though they were playing against a team that seemed to have everyone have COVID. Um, that's not going to happen in football. There's just too much risk involved for there to be a college football season this year. And I just don't see it happening because I mean, realistically, I do, especially you're not going to put them in a bubble, obviously. And realistically without students back in campus, I feel like it's hard to justify having a college football season. Now they got the money involved, but you're not going to bubble college kids. I mean, if that defeats the purpose of them being student athletes on top of other complications you may have with that. Now I've texted this with you before. If they were smart, I feel like they would delay the season to have a winter or a spring start to the season. If they really want to see it, have it not because they'll come up with some genius plan to keep people from getting this. If it's still widespread and like I said, they could end up delaying it a start and the situation's no better then than it is now. But just the hope that maybe a vaccine, well, sure. and maybe I, some therapeutic happens. so much of a hope at this point that many of the vaccines have reached the final the final stage of trials. Now, granted, yes. there's going to be you know an ethical question in terms of giving it to college football players when teachers and other essential workers should probably be getting the vaccine, but this is, you know, what happens when you're able to make money for money talks, money talks. Right. And (laughs) you know, we know that. Right. But I, I feel that you are correct in the sense of that a a, a winter start or even into the spring is probably not a bad thing as opposed to, and as we know, you know, you living in Eugene all these years. And as I have as well, a, a college town that, I mean, you're kid- you're actually kidding yourselves if you if you think there's not going to be outbreaks in all of these places. And, and the fact that the big the Power Five conferences are mainly located in the states that are still spiking. Yes. Right. Oh, exactly. Oh, you know, Florida, Regions Texas, California. Spiking states that are still spiking. Like I said, delay the season. Hope for a scientific breakthrough. Like you said, we've got a couple of vaccines in phase three trials. I mean. We don't know if they'll be the deal breaker that gets or the magic bullet that gets life back to normal. But you might as well delay and give time because it ain't happening by August, by September. It ain't happening. We know that. No, no. We know it's not happening. So why not give yourself time to um, see if something like that can happen? Um, Absolutely. Time for the see vaccines and you actually come up with a a manageable plan to deal with all of this activism that's that's go, running parallel with this, you know, that that's also going to be an issue, especially that these athletes feel like they're empowered 
just part of the big nationwide move for social justice anyways, that, hey, I'm not going to be on the plantation anymore with the master telling me what to do, sort of thing, yeah. right? Those are big things. But let me ask you this, you know, to, to back away from that for, for a second. Along the lines that there is a season, what do you think of the ACC's bold move to add Notre Dame to the equation for, for the 2020 season? Oh, well, like I said, if there is a season, I think that is a bold move because we know that um, we know the revenue that Notre Dame brings in to college football. And I mean, they've been kind of a t- I mean, obviously, Notre Dame's been looked at. I mean, the Big Ten has wanted them in the past. The ACC finally got that contract with them. And I just think you add another quality team because, I mean, let's face it. With Florida State's um, slump, which we could partly uh, thank good old Willie for. Yes, <laughs> <And> indeed. <laughs> Clemson's really the only power. I mean, a lot of people think of the ACC as Clemson and everyone else, which, let's face it, the last few years, it really has been Clemson true. and everyone else. So adding another quality team is a very bold move. And if you're Notre Dame, you had no choice but to pounce on that because with all conferences seeming to be going to conference only formats for this year, um, that was your only way to be able to schedule games at this point and get a qual- get a somewhat quality, respectful schedule. So yeah, I think it's a very bold move by the ACC and the, both them and Notre Dame made a very good choice with that. Absolutely. So that brings me to another point then. And I know that uh, last week, Barry Alvarez of Wisconsin, the, the AD, you know, former coach of great lore, he you know, had this big crying tell thing that I talked about last week about how much money they were going to lose. This is kind of going back to what we talked about, you know, initially. Um, do you see that, you know, what, what, let's say, like, what did he say? If there is no football, they would, they would lose uh, maybe $100 million. A conference-only schedule, maybe fifty to sixty million. So, with all of these big losses that you know these these programs, and I think that there's a, there is a hint of exaggeration, but I mean, could this be the end of college football? Period. What, are we are we starting to see the, the the beginning, and that we might see something to like what what you see in Europe, where you you have developmental leagues. Right in in terms of you know how these guys get paid because I'm kind of wondering do you, are these institutions going to back away from this? Well, so I feel okay. I mean, I mean, sadly, you need college football to fund the other athletic. Programs. Totally. So it would it would be a shame if you lost the college football because I feel like that would have a trickle effect to like. To sports that give a lot of kids, especially poor kids, who may not n- normally have an opportunity to go to college and op- a, a chance to get in, get a good education. So, so I mean, I really hope college football can survive. But going back, and especially with this Pac-12 player move that we were just talking about, I honestly think this could – I mean, COVID may have accelerated the timeline of – this, but I honestly think um, this could be the beginning of the end of college football because you've got a lot of the players are basically just, I mean, especially with social justice movements going on, the players are basically seem to decide it. And 
they're getting smart enough. I mean, they have people getting in their heads. They realize they have power. They're getting to say, hey, we're risking our lives or not our lives, but we're risking our future health here and we want to get paid. And I don't know if the NCAA structure could hold up for it. And I honestly believe that we might start seeing more of a organized minor league in football where players go to after college or after high school, as opposed to these colleges where they could get compensated. And I mean, I also wouldn't be surprised if um, some case happened in the next three or four years where the Supreme court just decides to strike down the minimum age requirements that both the NBA and NFL have. And once the, if the Supreme court ever makes it, so you could in theory go to the NFL out of high school, that's game over right there for college It truly is. And I also feel, I mean, because I I mean, I talked, I mentioned this earlier and I'm still on the fence because one, you know, you know, given the attitude of the players that may alienate uh, boosters, but at the same time, if money is involved and they have now, let's say, unfettered access, they might even double down on their involvement, right? It's, it's this weird thing, you know, because I think, especially in the South, you know, I can see, like, with, with Texas, where it's like, hey, get rid of, you know, the eyes of Texas, you know, remove all these statues, you know, that really wanting, you know, people to pull their money away. But at the same time, if their money can buy a more powerful team, you know, yeah. if we take these restrictions away, you know, it's, it's, it's this, once again, this weird slippery slope is terms of, it's hard to know how this is going to spin. Yes. And the one thing I am curious about, will there come a point where if the NCAA feels like they need to do it to save the college football, that they'll just throw their arms and say, you know what, we're going to stop kind of being this many, many farce of, these are pure student athletes and just say, screw it. Let's pay these guys so we could keep our, our cash cow and take right. away all rules about payments. Right. And that, and that brings up another interesting point that, uh, you know, uh, our, our Mr. Mr. SEC himself on, uh, on the woke leader, Mr. Feinbaum said, <laughs> yes. right. You know, I mean, yeah, you compensate him, but then now that opens up the title nine can of worms. It does. You're right. You know, I, I thought about that today and just go, wow, that's why I guess I brought, you know, I was kind of rambling there for a second, but why this is such a slippery slope. You know, let me get to a quick question here, you know, to, to, to push it in this direction. Okay, so we've already seen what's happened with Mike Gundy. We've seen Chip Kelly, um, the, the guy in Iowa. What's his name? Kurt Friend. Kurt Friend. Yeah, right? yes. We see all of these guys under fire, you know, in terms of they've had these fiefdoms for years. And, and how do they navigate these waters, you know? Because there's a lot of cases, you know, that they're the highest paid employee in the state. You know, you're having players say they should take a pay cut as part of all of this. What do you see with, with these big coaches? How are they going to deal in, in this new future or new normal? Well, I mean, I didn't get to that point. But the point the Pac-12 players made about basically suggesting coaches should take a pay cut. Now, right at this pre- at this present time, in the COVID world, I could kind of see their point because you know revenue without fans, revenue is going down. So for this temporary time point, time period, I see the point. But 
overall, I really don't agree with saying that coaches shouldn't make a certain salary because if you think about it, your life as a player on a football team is kind of tied to the coach more so in college sports than pro sports. Absolutely. So having an elite coach makes the, makes the revenue stream more possible for the players. If you were going to go to like a profit, like 50% profit model, like some of those players suggested, because as an example, like let's say Nick Saban makes, I believe 8 million, something like that at Bama. And some people will say, Oh, he's, um, that's way too much for just a college football coach. But when you think about how much um, revenue he bright brings into the school, he more than, in my opinion, he more than pays for himself with his salary. If anything, I could make a just a pure capitalism argument that Nick Saban might actually be underpaid at the salary he makes. Or same with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson makes nine million a year, but. I mean, what was Clemson football really before Davos was the coach this of that true. team? I mean, they, they I have, mean and yeah. all those players that have played for Clemson or any elite program, they have much better opportunities because they played for an elite program, because they played for Clemson versus they played for Wake Forest. And I feel like paying a coach is the key to all that stuff happening. So I disagree with that. Now, in terms of like the other things um, now, I mean, all the situations are separate. I feel okay. I look at Gundy at Oklahoma state. I mean, knowing his background, I mean, I feel like he's taken all the right steps since that controversy of him putting a OAN shirt came out. He apologized. We we talked about it in the show. Yeah. Yes. He apologized for it. He, um, he, um, got, seemed to like get his players aboard. He seemed to, um, he seemed to show sensitivity for why it would upset some players. Now it's not kind it's not hard to figure out, you know, Mike Gundy grew up in Oklahoma, a very conservative state, went to high school there. I believe he was the call it. I believe he was the starting quarterback at Oklahoma state for four years back in the yeah, eight when, when Barry Sanders and Dermot Thomas yeah, when was Barry, there. Yeah. When Barry Sanders. So he has a history there and you know what? His politics may not align with what as a society, what woke ESPN wants someone's politics to be, well, but exactly. you know, it's really, day, you know, even beyond that, I mean, when you, and that's the point I was about to make is that you have a lot of these, we'll just say old school coaches that kind of grew up, you know, and when we were growing up, and you yeah. know, and, and, and they have ties to that era that even predates us. And yeah. you know, like they said, with, with Texas, for example, having to like rename Daryl Royal Field. When I know when I was growing up, Daryl Royal was a legend. And you know, these guys yeah. who are, who've been here for a while, like 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 the Gundys, like the Kurt Frenzes, and other these other coaches have ties to these people. But it's obvious that these athletes do not resonate with that like yeah so what yeah. you knew about you you you, you coached under both Schembechler I think you're a racist yes I mean I got you and like like I said I also question like when the OAN thing with Gundy happened how many of the players themselves actually knew what actually were able to connect it like may, a handful of players and a lot of these players are smart but I'm not sure a lot of the players were necessarily like 
necessarily think too much about that because OAN's not necessarily a network you would see on mainstream TV. No, no, that was actually that, that was actually silly in the fact yes. that it's not mainstream. But because, as you pointed out, that through social media and these people are connected, people are you know they're easy, they're influenced. You know whether it's whether it's BLM. Yes. You know, or or other activist groups. You know, not trying to single any of those folks out, but the yeah. fact is, they have that their their long reach. Yes, and with social media, yeah, with social media, and, all- and like I said, I think Gundy's situation. There's gonna be a segment that just feel like not he's messed up so bad, nothing he could say or do will will cancel out anything. He's just a good old boy racist. And you know what? They're going to think that, and there's really nothing you could do. But at the end of the day, he's also by far the most successful coach in Oklahoma sure. State football history. And I mean, granted, he as, a, as old Skip likes to point out, he has trouble beating Oklahoma. Right. But outside of that, he's really, in terms of 10-win seasons, one year where he was basically an upset. And I believe we actually watched that game together. Mm-hmm. He was an upset at Ames, Iowa, away from having that program in a national title game this is true and like, you know and, that one year. and speaking of iowa i'm sure you've been following what's going on there similar similar situation but you yes. know what okay so i know we're running a little long here let me get you out yes. with this one uh we'll, all right we'll give you we'll give you a uh we'll we'll we'll, 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 we'll cut across the grain here i was going to ask you this earlier but being the huge oregon fan that you are an alum and that you traveled many play, you traveled to many big games of theirs, the Natty Rose Bowls, yes. and all this stuff. Yes. Um, what do you see if there is a season? What do you see Oregon as this year? I mean, what do you see in their in their immediate future now that they've lost, you know, their their star quarterback? Well, okay, like so, going in that direction. Um, so, Cristobal. I have questions about him as a game manager, and we've discussed this Indeed before. We have. But recruiting, man, that guy could recruit like no other. He's recruiting at a level that Chip Kelly never recruited, this and he's well. going into he's going into places, and he's out recruiting big time schools from the south for players right now. So he's bringing in a lot of good talent that. I honestly, I mean, I'll be honest. If there is a college football season this year, I, especially with USC's downtail that has seemed to have happened to them on the recruiting trail, um, I feel like Oregon has kind of set themselves up to be kind of a lone power in the Pac-12 where they might have a similar setup that like Clemson has in the ACC a few years down the road assuming college football is still there by then this is true that's a big if and um so i feel like oregon is the clear-cut favorite to win the pac-12 if there is a season next year because yes they lost their quarterback um now granted i kind of have issues with how he was used in the system that arroyo had last year and I feel like more the Moorhead hire at OC was something that was going to take Oregon to another level. And also, I think that since we've 
I think a lot of the reasons our play calling with Herbert was a little conservative in my opinion last year was because they had such a fear of Herbert getting hurt that I think went back to the sophomore year when he did get hurt and our offense just was a stinker after that. But I feel like Cristobal has recruited enough um, competent backup or enough quarterbacks that I feel like we'll be we would be able to run a whole playbook where we're not afraid to run with the quarterback if we need to. That will that would take our offense to a next level, even if we don't necessarily have the NFL type arm at quarterback that we did last year. Okay, well then he he obviously has a very positive feeling about this. Well, all right, we, if there's a season, if there, if there is a season, Grant, Grant. Okay, well. This has been really, this has been fun having you on for both segments. We definitely will have you back. We're going to want to talk to you once we get closer to the NFL, what's going on in Vegas in a few weeks. But All right. In, in the meanwhile, you know, thank you for coming on to the show. And like I said, we look forward to chatting with you here in the near future. Okay. Peace. All right. No problem. All right. Thank you, Alec. That was a... Uh, Two very informative segments, a lot of information there. I know we've definitely run a little bit longer than usual, but this has been you know, a very fun episode. Looking forward to, as I've said before, to having more guests like him, that, you know, to bring you fresh perspectives, to build on what I talk about from week to week. Uh, okay, before we get out of here, I guess we need to get to uh, take care of a little bit of business here in the back end. And one of those would be are questions from the Intelligentsia. First one comes from Nick M. and Pacifica. He's, he wants to know, do I think, is Brooks Krepka going to do a three-peat at the PGA in Harding Park in San Francisco this week? The PGA Championship, that is. And you know, I didn't think so at first because I know that uh, Brooks had been hurting ever since the PGA had, had returned. But then I see that he's coming off of a tie for second at the uh, WGC uh, FedEx St. Jude. So we have a photo to bring in the background, which was his best finish of the season. So it definitely looks like he is very prime for to, to make a run at uh, his third straight PGA championship. And that would put him in the same class as Walter Hagen, who won it four times. Uh, in a row between 1924 and 1927 when the event was contested at match play. But yeah, I, I it seems like when it comes to major championships, this guy primes himself for it and he's always in the running. So uh, yeah, I if I had my buddy in, in Vegas, I would put it on him. Uh, second question comes from Jose R. in LA and he wants to know, how do you think Kareem would have fared against Shaq? As he's somebody I've known for a while, big big Jose, he's a big like big Laker fan, as Alec is as well. And you know that's always been an interesting question for me. And all I can say about this is when it comes to Kareem, I mean Shaq, his nickname what does he call himself MDE for the most dominant ever. You know, the, the bully. He, he was the most dominant. But what about, the thing about Kareem was that you make Kareem mad, Kareem's going to ball out. And I watched him dominate Olajuwon and Samson. Watch what he did against the Celtics. Yeah, I, I think that it, it would be a 
titanic matchup between those two. I think Kareem would Kareem would rise to the occasion because Shaq would try to bully him, and you know not gonna like dismiss Shaq because as I've said to many folks in that three-year window where the Lakers didn't repeat, there was nothing like watching Shaq in the fourth quarter protecting the rim. You know that that fourth quarter defense that those great Laker teams had, and that was anchored by Shaq when Shaq's like, okay, you know, hop on my back. We're going to get it done. Not to take anything away from the heroics of our dearly departed Kobe Bryant. But that said, yeah, watching an angry Kareem and an angry Shaq, you know, if that were possible, somebody get the simulation going on on, on uh, EA Sports or NBA 2K so we can watch that. I mean, that would be, you know, the, the stuff of basketball dreams to be made of. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to our... Turd McCory Award. You know, that weekly award we give out to somebody who's just that, a turd. And, well, I don't have to go too far when it comes to who gets the Turd McCory Award this week. I think we look back to our friends at Major League Baseball and watch how they've handled this whole situation dealing with, with COVID-19. And then you add Joe Kelly's suspension of course they are going to get the Turd McCory Award. No doubt about it. Alrighty, folks. Like I've said, this has been an action-packed episode. we got a lot in here today. It's great stuff. You know, I'm going to try to continue to get better as far as my stumbling you know, through some of the stuff that I try to present. But I'm really excited about the guests that we're going to continue to have. I'm also looking forward to the companion to this podcast, the scene. We're still in development. I told you last week we'd have more details. Well, we're going to probably push that out one more. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely in development. I'm definitely writing some stuff out. Still booking guests. But I would suspect that's going to be out here for too long. So, okay, folks. In the meanwhile, wear your mask. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. Avoid people. Avoid large gatherings. Do all the things that we can so we can get back to going to games, going to concerts, and hanging out with the homies and homegirls. Until then, be well, and I will see you next week for Boom Talk Studios. Mm-hmm.